Okay. Uh, it's interesting. Sometimes outside of your knowledge, we got things going on. When I went back there to check on, because I there was multiple things with the worship, but even the sound wasn't quite right. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it was way off. I, nobody touched a button. It just all of a sudden. So can't explain it, but we found a way to worship through it, right? Amen. That's right. So where brokenness doesn't belong, where brokenness doesn't belong. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, Isaac, you may turn me down just a little bit. Uh, So, oh wow, this is interesting. So just give me one second. Man. Fellowship, whatever you got to do. <laughs> what is going on? That's crazy. Oh, I didn't change the name on it. That's why. Okay, we're good. We're we're good. It's just uh, I didn't change the name on that overhead. So with all the confusion, right? First Samuel chapter fifteen. Yeah. For whatever reason. I, oh, the rest of that verse is hidden behind another. Uh, Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's read this. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy the opportunity to pray here. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. How he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. And now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Father, thank you today, Lord. The Holy Spirit wants to take what is a confusion and make it right. Lord, these words here, is there's a brokenness, Lord, that can get in the way. And I know, Lord, it doesn't belong where your uh, supremacy and authority is in our life. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray to God that you would break through some barriers and walls today wherever they exist. Lord, there's times in our lives that things have been apart. It's been like an Amalek in our life that, Lord, you're dealing with and it's time. And Lord, for those, Lord, in this place, and Lord, even that will hear this message, God, wherever you send it, Lord, would you get into their hearts and open up the way of freedom. And often, Lord, what gets in the way is the things the Lord we're not seeing. So thank you, Holy Spirit, today. Opening eyes, giving revelation to our hearts, because we need it. Lord, we can't do without it. We can't live... And, and even move forward or even mature in our life as Christians unless you're bringing revelation to our hearts. Divine revelation that takes the words from our Bibles and makes them a living reality for us. So Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you bring life to us today? Lord, also death. Because, Lord, we realize some things have to die because they can't live in the atmosphere of Your holiness. They can't live with You and walk with You, Lord. They're in opposition to You. And, Lord, have Your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like I'm going to have some powerful things to share with you this morning. So I want you to feel free to shout an amen, say an amen, when you feel like one of those has hit you. Amen. Good. I got one already. That's what I was looking for. <clears throat> so the title is, Where Brokenness Doesn't Belong. Where Brokenness Doesn't Belong. So, God had 
in this story, if you know the story of Saul, Saul was chosen as a king and it was because the people were begging for a king and it wasn't, he wasn't a king fit for the call. But he was anointed for a purpose and God had given him a mercy for a time. But Saul never really did walk in the calling to be a king in a way to bring redemption to the people. And so you'll see these faults or what you would say within his nature that seems to get in the way of God. And so, but before that all happens, we have this portion of Saul's story, and that is is that Saul was told by God that there's an Amalek. Now, you guys may not know what the history is with Amalek, but all the way back in the time of Moses, this Amalek, not Agag, which was the king of Amalek at this time, but Amalek back then, had um, ambushed them when they were weak. And how Amalek went about this was, was brought on the judgment of God upon this community of people. Now God was dealing with it, and He said long before that He would deal with it, and Saul was the one that was called to bring in action, justice as it were. And so oftentimes we look at things like this and we, we think, I can't, I can't believe God would have anybody kill the innocent. And I think that's the problem and the dilemma of today is because we think that humanity is innocent. We think at our earliest stages as infancy that we were, were infant, in, innocent children. And there is a sense of innocence, but not an innocence from sin. Not an innocence from violation. From the moment we breathed our first breath, as it were, the Scripture says there was like inequity starting its work. We were already, there's a not just a potential of sin, sin was lying within. And how do we know that is because every single man and woman has found sin in their life. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is an absolute human reality. And so whatever your state, even in childhood, we learned how to sin quickly. But here's what we see is that every man and woman is guilty of that sin essentially. What we look at is we think of God as a loving being, and that's what we elevate in the person of God. God is a holy being. And part of His holiness, but not all of His holiness, has to do with love. But we cannot ignore that God is just. And sin is an infinite evil. Every time you and I sin, we commit an infinite evil against the very Creator that gave us life and breath. There's a point in which we all believe in justice. We want to see justice happen. We want to see those who have been abused. We want to see that abuse stop. We want to hear of criminal action come to an end. We don't want somebody who's went and robbed a store or uh, murdered somebody to continue to rank in our streets and run rampant wherever we live. We want them put away if necessary. We want justice to be done. So there's a sense, and there ought to be of any every human being, a sense of justice there. But what happens is, is that we think of justice outside of how God looks at justice. And we're not careful. It's going to be a pretty bad deal in it. So if, if we don't look at this, that everybody's guilty, God doesn't owe us salvation. He owes us judgment. That's what we deserve. Well, here's a community of people that had fallen under the just judgment of God. You may have a difficulty looking at that, but if you understand how sin gets its life in, and this is what I would say is is that every one of us were raised to be criminally wicked in our lives. And if it weren't for godly parents, chances are, and even with godly parents, some of us turned out pretty darn rotten. So all the hope and investment that we gave to people, we tried and we said the gospel is there to save men and women. Yes. But what happens when we don't surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're lost for eternity. So Amalek came into them and he came and he ambushed them. And Amalek represents what I believe when I think, when I see this, is not just 
some evil that's in the present. It's an evil in the past. Amalek represents an evil in the past that has touched you in the past and still threatens you in the present. I want you to capture that. Amalek represents... I hope Isaac's turning through the the pieces here. Uh, That's our first point there. Amalek represents an evil that has touched you in the past and still threatens you in the present. How many of you can say, I know what that's like? I have had evil in my past and it seems like it finds its way into my life right now. There's people that have done, done things to me. There's things that I've done. And I've never been able to redeem everything in my life. I've still got people that hate me for what I've done. I still have regret, the pain of that. Well, this is what Amalek is. And I, I can see the power of that thought behind this. Is that there's not only physical forces, but there's spiritual forces at work. That if we don't take it, that the Lord wants to annihilate this kind of evil from our life. When we know what Jesus Christ did, the cross is the power of God unto salvation. You and I are not meant, God never intended for us, to continue to live under the threat of an evil from the past. I'm going to get a little bit further with this. And then he says, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all. The charge that God had given to Saul was to completely annihilate everything that had to do with Amalek. Some, though conquered, some call, though called to conquer their past, the pain of their past will choose to limit their freedom by living with it. And I, I want to be just as clear as I can. Uh, there's, there's just often too many times when there's something that has happened in the past that we keep calling that back to action. We keep calling it back to remembrance. We keep inviting it into the door of our life. It never seems to get away. We've got a lot of things that we let go of in Jesus' name. Amen? That's part of our testimony. Man, this is what I was. This is what I am. That's beautiful. But what about the thing that's still chasing you? What is it? What about that thing that you just can't get over? What about it? Well, that's your Amalek. That's your Amalek. And I feel like there's a call of God speaking to us to utterly annihilate that Amalek from our lives. Because some of us learn to live with it. But as long as you have some pain in the past that keeps finding its way into your present, Just remember this, it will always limit the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. It will limit your power to be able to praise His name. It will limit you in the ability that you have to be able to pray and feel like that you have victory in the name of Jesus. Nothing haunts me more than something that has happened in my life, something that I have done, and I feel like I'm still a hypocrite as a result of. I still feel like my conscience gnaws at me. There's a feeling of guilt that suppresses me when I try to come before Jesus. And I'm like, I know the theology and I understand the gospel is the power of God, but why am I not living it? Pretty powerful thought. Some will ignore it rather than defeat it. It's like I know it's there, but as long as I ignore it, it doesn't, it, it's not there. Imagine... This Amalek, here is God's inheritance. This is God's place, God's Israel, God's Jerusalem. And now you have an Amalek that that is not favorable to the kingdom of God. This is like people who want to love Jesus, but they invite into their lives the kind of people to become their friends, their soulless friends, their very close friends that are ungodly. Marriages that develop as a result of that. And because of that, it's that there's something that gets in the way of what God is doing. Amalek is a subtle but evasive reminder of how brokenness can haunt us a lifetime if we do not bring it to the cross. See, brokenness, as, I was, as we were praying this morning, it hit me. 
Brokenness is the reason why people are changing their gender. Brokenness is the reason why you serve people to fill an inward need that never gets filled. Brokenness is the reason why even when you do your very best, you feel like there's a weight on your shoulders that still tells you you're not good enough. Brokenness is the kind of thing that gets in our relationships that even though I don't know what your real intention is, I invite false perceptions about people and what they've done in my life and what they mean and all those other things. I invite that into my life because of my brokenness. I've learned to judge things out of my brokenness. And it gets in and it filters into our life. So brokenness is what compromises our moral integrity. Brokenness gets into relationships and it continues to filter in what I believe. Like I'll start in those relationships, start thinking the worst of you for no good reason. Brokenness. It's kind of like Paul says, there's sin within. And because of that sin within, it constantly brings me into that place of darkness. So brokenness is something we should all be looking at. We should all be looking at where in our life, what in our past, what is it that's affecting me? And, and what, how is it inviting evils within my life? Let's look in verses 4 through 5 in verse Samuel chapter 15. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek, and he lay in wait in the valley. In other words, when you see this, this is one of the few times, oftentimes in the Bible, that the people of God were outnumbered. But this is one of those times that the people of God outnumbered their enemies. And what you need to see here is this. In other words, God had given Saul everything he needed to be victorious, when enjoined to obedience. I want you to capture that. When enjoined to obedience. See, we can shout to the, the housetops the promises of God. We can go into the Bible and find places where God said, God, you said, but enjoined to obedience. That's the, that's the piece we need to capture. That's the key. But notice how uh, well fortified he was. There wasn't any reason for him to worry or think that he wouldn't be able to defeat his enemy. And I want to say that to you one time if I can right now. I don't know what your brokenness has been. I don't know what you've dealt with in your life. I don't even know what you're going through. And maybe I do in some ways. But I can tell you this. Guaranteed, Jesus Christ in the provision of having died on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit has given every one of us more than enough to be able to defeat our Amalek, to overcome the brokenness of our life. We don't have to keep trailing down the past or whatever has happened. We don't have to go down anything that we have been in. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to deal with it. It just means... God provides victory. Isn't that a wonderful word this morning? Isn't that a powerful truth that we get to share that for ourselves and with one another? Because, you know, sometimes what I hear is this. Sometimes I feel like the challenge is I understand pastor. That's the gospel. The pastor has to say this to himself sometimes. I understand that's, the, that, that's supposed to be the truth. But, Right? That word but seems to get in there because we feel weakened by our human state. We feel broken by the fact that I'm just vulnerable to what people say and do. I don't like and I don't want to be. I've all my life you know, gone through being um, rejected, all those kinds of things. And it's powerful because even when we come to Jesus, it doesn't mean rejection goes away. But it's powerful what the Lord does in us to fortify us through the Holy Spirit and the power of God. See, because this is what we need. We need a revelation of Jesus that satisfies us. 
I need a revelation of Jesus that satisfies me that God is at the center of my world and He sees me. He hasn't given up on me. When He convicts me, He's not condemning me. And when He condemns me, He only wants to restore me. And I see the heart of my Father constantly urging me on toward Him. So that when I'm dealing with life, whatever happens in life is faced through the working, inner working of Jesus in me. It's powerful the Lord can give you peace when nothing else can give you peace. It's powerful that you can have wisdom and understanding of what to do when you wouldn't. That I love it when the Holy Spirit gets inside of us and we can hold our ground. I'm not overcome. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. Not because I can say it. I might emotionally feel broken down. But I love how Jesus can build me up. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the humble in heart. They're humble. They don't have to boast and vaunt out. God just gets inside of it. And you know, it's powerful because when the Holy Spirit's just working humility into your life, oftentimes God just works everything else to fit the seams. If we're not careful, what we'll do with it is all of our opportunities to advance in the peace of God, all of our opportunities to to advance in the freedom of Jesus Christ will be constantly tarnished by the kind of brokenness that we continue to marry ourselves to. I didn't get an amen for that. The danger of backsliding, listen to this, the danger of backsliding is not absent even when the provision of God is evident. See, some of us think that if, oh, if we just get more from the Lord, that I won't, I won't be struggling so badly. You're struggling badly because you're not submitted to Jesus. It's not your circumstances. It's not the struggles and the people in your life. It's where you are with God. The danger of backsliding is not because God hasn't provided. He provided 200,000 foot soldiers. You're outweighing them. The ten to one in all the odds in this battle, in this warfare. You've got the omnipotent creator of the universe that has the authority at any moment to speak anything that you need into your life. God can do it. I was so blessed, and I've said it before. What was his name? Tom Cox. He was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer, and God had healed him completely of that cancer. Not everybody has been has experienced that, but when he did, I saw that God just turned his world upside down. And what I can say was Tom Cox experienced what it meant to have 200,000 footmen at his disposal to be able to defeat his Amalek. And it was so awesome. But that doesn't mean you can't be staring the promises of God in the face and fall prey to failure and giving up and hardening your heart toward God. You can stare them in the face. You can be reading your Bible and not capture what God has for you. Your Amalek will keep you from feeling like you have full victory. Your wins will feel like they're only partial. Man, I'm I'm going, I'm, I'm moving forward, but something feels like it's holding me back. It's Amalek. It's that Amalek. Oh, you got to hear this one. <clears throat> your Amalek will become your excuse for future disobedience. That's exactly what happened with Saul. It will reinvite your unconquered brokenness back into your present battles, which will seduce you into disobedience. Did you get that? Your Amalek will become your excuse. Isaac, look for that one. I think it's there. Your Amalek will become your excuse for future disobedience. It will reinvite your unconquered brokenness back into your present battles, which will seduce you into disobedience. See, because here's the thing. Obedience feels like 
I heard very clearly the direction of God. They go, I, I've got it. I understand what He wants for me to do. And so we would feel like if God would just come and He would give us an audible voice and tell us specifically what to do, that's what I need. And so what we feel like oftentimes, I didn't get an audible voice. But you got the revelation of the will of God. You got it in your home. You got it in your house. You got more than one or two of them laying around. So you have God's will at your disposal. So disobedience isn't because I didn't want to obey God. Disobedience is that I often felt too weak to obey God. And when I look at the story of Saul, I am so sobered by the way God judged him because he viewed himself as too weak. You have to understand the thing that broke this whole thing was the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, you're too weak on your own. Yes, your human frailty and flesh and blood, you and I are just bound to fail because of that. But when God gave us the cross and He gave us Jesus, He gave you absolute proof that you can be victorious. You don't have to lean on anything that's flesh and blood and human finiteness and failure because you have Jesus and the Spirit of God. What is brokenness? Brokenness, if I can say it, and then we think of it because God breaks us in different ways, but it's a different kind of brokenness. The effect that a sinful fallen world has had on us and the ingrained traits and habits that we have formed as a result of. They're ingrained. It's become a part of me. And so that's why I say, it's like, I, I don't have freedom in giving if I'm trying to get. Oftentimes. We're struggling so much and we have so much brokenness in the world. Relationships can't last because of brokenness. Churches continue to dissemble. People continue to lose their faithfulness to their commitment to Christ, to the body of Christ but you can find them running toward the things of the world, to money, to security, to insurance. Why? Because they're broken. We're broken because we have the theology of Jesus so rich and full, but we don't have the reality of Jesus to hold on to because we keep letting go of Him because of brokenness. I want to tell you a story of somebody. I remember that he had told me one time, he, I remember this remark. He said, it's so hard to follow God. It's so hard to do what God wants. And I remember, uh, I remember watching him and he would go back and forth, up and down. Giving, kind of giving himself to, to the Lord in a sense and then falling away. I just watched this, what I would call faith and failure. Faith and failure. Some of us have called it roller coaster Christianity, but I watch him have that faith and failure. And it was really difficult because one of the things I noticed with that faith and failure was he was never solid, he was constantly unstable. And he was like looking for another meeting or another place where. God would reassure him of love so that he could be restored out of that condition of failure, but yet reinvited back into that failure over and over again. And there's something about that that gnaws at the soul of that person. And I think, essentially, it's, it takes the knowledge of the gospel and strips it down to a meaningless form so that it literally can't have a place in your life. So I'd watch him have that faith and failure over and over again. He continued reconfessing, trapped in the hope and hopelessness of forgiveness without healing. And what do I mean by that? It's because what, what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to give us the hope of forgiveness with a healing so that we're made new. 
I'm not the same guy. And I continue to be renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit. Um, He also lived in an atmosphere of regret constantly. Every confession reached for victory, but every subsequent compromise strangled him with a sense of hypocrisy. He was constantly reaching for victory. Well, I think I found something that's happening in the church today. I think I found something that's happening in the body of Christ. Because I want to say that less less and less do I feel like people that are, when we talk about Christians, less and less do I feel like that they absolutely feel victorious. What I sense often is I'm constantly reconquered over and over again, and I keep running to Jesus for forgiveness. I'm grateful that you do. I'm not telling you not to. But what I'm afraid of is that that is the gospel that we're believing. That's the end of the the line. Jesus came to keep restoring me after repetitive failures rather than Jesus actually keeps me pure and holy and helps me walk faithfully day in and day out. He, uh, and so why was he strangled with a sense of hypocrisy? Because of his past Amalek. He learned to use the cross to cope, not to overcome. The cross for a lot of Western culture Christianity is a coping mechanism. It's how we cope with continued failure and not how we overcome and become more than conquerors through Christ who gave Himself for us. He overlooked the brokenness of the past every time He came back to God. He had become so enslaved by His brokenness that His renewed excitements toward God would not last long before he would embrace another defeat. And this was his definition of Christianity based on the merits of his life. This is the evil of Amalek. God wants us to experience the fullness of the cross. God wants us to have our whole life die at Jesus' cross and come alive and resurrected with Him. He doesn't want your brokenness to be a part of your life and worship call to Him. So what am I describing? I'm describing an evil in your past that threatens you in the present. I don't care what it is. Um, That's what I'm describing. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. Man, I've got it quiet as crickets in here. Although I I, I can see I got your attention. I got eyes like just pinned on me here. So it's wonderful. Saul attacked the Amalekites. So verses 7 through 9. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. What? And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen and fatlings the lambs and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they utterly destroyed. They kept the good of the animals, so he saved the king, so he, he, he took care of the women, the men, the infants, all of that, but he saved the best of the animals. So anything that wasn't you know without blemish, he, he, he saved everything without blemish, and he took... Think about that. Think about that. He had wiped away the population of the people who could re-invite evil back into. But what he was hung up on was the amoral things. The things that aren't in themselves evil and aren't in themselves good. Now, except for the king, right? So what is his purpose behind that? It's kind of it doesn't tell us doesn't tell us why he did it just one of those strange things. So Saul destroyed the people but saved the king. He feared the power of evil but not the presence of evil. 
How many of us, the reason why we have a problem with evil is because we don't want it infiltrating and getting taking over. But if you can, if it can be evil, I can tolerate it if it's not going to have a power over my life. We tolerate a lot of kinds of evil that doesn't feel like it's getting in the mix. Saul spared the best of the animals but destroyed the worst. When a Christian does not have spiritual discernment, their judgment is clouded about God's view of amoral things. Oh, we've got to figure it out, but what's wicked and what's not wicked, this is... But I remember sitting in a meeting when I was a youth, and I remember a pastor saying one time, he made the statement, he says, those are gray areas. And I was so angered, and I remember I jumped, and I probably spoke out of turn, but I say, I, at some point, I didn't jump out, but I, I did get at him, and I said, I don't think anything's gray area with God. The Holy Spirit has a yes or a no for everything for us. It's your, if you reason it out, if you're trying to lean on your reason, yeah, it's a gray area for you because you don't know. But God has a yes or a no for everything. Don't teach everybody that you can sit and compromise on amoral things. The people were wicked, but the animals had no power to invite the people. Listen to this. Back evil back or sin back into Israel. We may be tempted to think that if you take something amoral out of the circulation of evil, that it is automatically lawful to use it for good. Catch that. I really want you to catch that. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. We automatically think because it's not good or evil, if I take it out of the circulation of the evil that it was used for, and I use it for good, that's automatically, or that's what God wants. See, we don't listen to the Holy Spirit in getting the will of God. We don't get connected to the Lord because we've learned if it's G-rated, that means it's acceptable with God. It doesn't, as long as it's not endorsing an evil, if I can find a use for good, that's how we repurpose and use things for the glory of God. And there is truth to that if the Holy Spirit is endorsing it. But here's an example perfectly. God said, if that were true, if God didn't give a care, if you could get it out of circulation, then why was this a part of, Paul, of Saul's sin? Why was it that? Because when you get down to the bare reality of it, the sanctification of the Christian life calls for a yielding of everything to the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. The moment you decide that it doesn't have to be under His authority, that is the moment you fall into disobedience. And you have to be careful. So I want to tell you, be careful for Facebook. Be careful for what you watch on television. Be careful for what you listen to. But it doesn't have a bad message. But you didn't let the Holy Spirit endorse it in your life. And the reason why we don't have the Holy Spirit coming in and being poured out over our church like it was the early church was because this is what we have that's standing in the way of God. When we look at our lives, we find a way that if money can be used for good, we don't have to listen to God. We don't have to follow His example. As long as I give my tithe, it doesn't matter what I do with the rest of it. God, help us today. Because this is what's getting into our culture. When I read this story, I am so sobered. I'm almost like, Lord, I don't know if I can preach this. Because this has something to do big place in my own heart. we got to get to the place where it's really paramount with us. Lord, I want to know your will. Please confirm it to me again and again. I've said this before, but I, I want to say this because I want, I want to help some of you because I think it's important to you. Learn to dig your heels in a little bit. And what I mean by that is, 
That first feeling like, I feel like that's the will of God. I feel like that's what God wants. Just put your heels in, in the sense of attitude mindset of God, I want to be fully convinced that this is your will. I'm digging my heels in until you give me enough evidence that I can lift my I can I can lift my heel and I can walk with a sense of assurance. This is the will of God. Don't dig your heels in when God's revealing his will and you're hardening your heart. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, don't just jump out there and say, oh, well, I got my first little confirmation. That's good enough. Make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Let's read the next few verses, verses 10 through 11, almost here at the end here. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret. I don't want that over your life. I don't want that in mind. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried to the Lord all night long. You know why we don't have tears? You know why we're not broken for somebody else? Is because this is the kind of thing that's still in us. When we get broken of that unfaithfulness to God, when that's what bothers us, I don't give a care how many people come. I don't care how much of an audience you have. That doesn't tell me whether you're in the favor of God or not. What matters is, are you following Jesus? Saul was yet to become aware of the fatality of his unfaithfulness to God and how the seduction of amoral things led him away from God. If you want to think about this, this was the same scheme that the devil used in the garden. God knows, certainly has not God said, isn't this good for food? Isn't there some good that this could be used for? God said no. It doesn't matter if it's not bad in itself. It's a no. Some of us, the way we dress is because of what the Holy Spirit has done for us. Sometimes it's the way we, the things we view. Praise God when you're so sensitive to the Lord and you're very careful about what you buy and why you buy it and what you put on and what you, what you do in life and the carefulness of your words with other people because you're sensitive to the Lord. 1 Samuel 15, so let's jump to 23 through 25. I'm going to end in this verse. I was looking through, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get through the rest of this, not this sermon, so maybe we'll reinvite it next week, see what the Lord does. 1 Samuel 15, 23 through 25. Say amen if you're there. Not because you're up there on the screen, because you're there in your... For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is inequity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. This is the point when I want to, I want to show you something. I want you to attend to the word of God, because... Because there seems to be no preacher today that will tell you this is still true today. But why does the Bible warn us about grieving the Holy Spirit? Why does the Bible warn us about getting to the place where He turns us over to our reprobate minds? Why does the Bible warn us about having once overcome and then getting re-entangled back into again? So I think the Bible warns us because we have to be very careful of how we preach the grace of God and the salvation of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because what we've done so far, I think, and how we've ministered this, is that Jesus allows you to sin as long as you keep coming for forgiveness. 
There's no sense of the enormity, the duty, and the call of God to live a holy life and to be faithful to Jesus. Because even if I blemish that faithfulness over and over and over and over again, though I am adulterer in my spirit and heart, I will always be able to reinvite that gospel forgiveness into that framework. The perversion of that way of thinking is the very thing that Jesus Christ was crucified to bring to death. Jesus didn't want you spending your lifetime re-involved with the same old adulteress again and again that's attacking your marriage between Him and you. Get her out of your life. She doesn't belong there. Amalek can look like your adulteress or your affair, and Jesus wants you to have pure worship. Think about what Jesus said when He said, I, My Father seeks, not singers, not shouters, My Father seeks those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Anything that you have adulterating your relationship with Jesus keeps you from worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Your brokenness is your adulteress if you're not careful. You keep letting her back into your life and keeping you from Jesus the way He wants you to be. Your Amalek will also not just reinvite unconquered brokenness into your present battles, but it will reinvite it into your worship. In this way, your Amalek will always be a part of the worship. And notice what he says. Just forgive me and get me back to worship. He's not thinking about God. He's not thinking about the obedience that he left behind. He's thinking about getting back to that pleasurable moment of feeling the relief of the guilt off of his conscience. Therefore, pardon my sin. Let's get this done and over with and return with me that I may worship the Lord. The seduction of brokenness makes disobedience look like innocent failure. We are led to crave pity as a victim of circumstance, adulterating our worship with our brokenness. Oh, man. That one got me. See, that's how we use the cross to cope, not to overcome. The cross was meant so that we can have pure worship. Now, some would ask me today, Pastor, are you saying that that means that, there's, that we're basically going to come to human perfection? That I'm just going to be a perfect and I'm never going to have... No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I don't want you to miss this message because you're afraid of miss or getting that message. And that's what seems to get in the way of. Like, how, how victorious can I be in Jesus? Kind of like if the edge of this platform were a cliff that were hundreds of thousands of feet, and I'm just right at the edge of it. And you're saying... I just want to make sure that when I'm with Jesus that I'm not going to fall off the cliff. Well, the other question you can ask yourself is, how far can I be away from the cliff? How close can I really be to God? Maybe perfection or perfect perfectness isn't really the picture, but how close to perfect can I be? In other words, if Jesus is really carrying me through life, if Jesus is going to hold me and I'm going to give Him my hand of obedience so He can hold me and take me through His direction and His will of life, hmm. is there a possibility of me failing if I'm really holding on to the Lord? I want you to answer that question. But the more you begin, I think, to weigh in on that, it doesn't take long, but you're like, ah, you know what, we keep saying there's, there's no ability to be perfect. And we spend so much time rolling around on that that before we know it, that what we've done is we have used, we've created an open door for our brokenness 
to come back and adulterate our relationship with Jesus. Because I can't be perfect. And we spend so much time involved in this fear of trying to tell the world, oh, I've got so self-righteous that now I believe I can be perfect. And that's, what, that's our battle. We're so trying to work out of that self-righteousness that we never realized we were working our way right down into the dark crevices of what adultery looks like. So what are we really doing? We're balancing everything off the power of Jesus at work in our lives so that we're not the kind of hypocrites that are so self-righteous, and but we're also the kind of humble people that trust God in everything we do and we don't have an excuse for even things that we call human infirmity. Because Jesus can help me. I'm holding on to Him and I'm learning to hold on to Him more fast. With that, I want to prepare for communion. But I also want to, com- I want to prepare for communion similarly as the way we did last weekend. Is I want to give you... This is something I can't do. I can't give you... I can't tell you that everyone here is at heart feeling ready and is ready to take communion. Communion is, Jesus, it's, it's the remembrance. It's taking into remembrance the blood shed, the perfect, sinless body of Jesus and His blood that was shed for us. And you know, for me, I think that that's a very uh, sacred moment. And I don't want to hurry it up and get it over with. And so for every one of us in our room, we have to weigh out differently where we're at with that. Lord, I've taken it for granted. Or Lord, I'm really I'm longing. I'm ready to just jump up and, and be there right now. And I don't know everybody in the room, so I want to give you an opportunity as long as you need. Please hear me. Don't rush this moment with the Lord. Communion is not just to get her done and over with. And for some of us, maybe that's where you're at, and that's fine. But I want to give you an opportunity. So we'll we'll invite you to the altar. I'm going to let Mark share. It looks like you want to, brother, here in a second. I want to invite you to the altar. We're going to invite the worship team up. And then shortly after that, when it feels like for me that business is settled, if you want to say, then, then we'll open up for communion. That's how I want to do it. Because I want to give all of us an opportunity to settle things with the Lord. Mark, what would you like to share? who he was mm. and what he did for me to take my place and your place on the cross. Yeah, let's make sure you, everybody gets to hear you. There we go, brother. In this scripture. Turn his on and mine off. It's on. It's on. He just has to do it from the sound booth. This scripture is from. Here, let me see if we get you. Isn't that fun when you go through that? It's just hilarious. Isaac, can you just turn it to the Lord at the altar? Don't let anything distract you.